stuff we're missing out on. We need to be getting this in the podcast. Okay, you go ahead and start. Let's do this. Ah, And I can ask me about how you ended up on television. Because I think that's students need to hear that. Yeah. So, well, welcome, Swau. Wait, how do you start your intros? I've never done one of these. Welcome to another podcast of Swau and Notable Icons. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Everybody guess who that is. (laughs) Well, today we have our great alumni, and she's also a board of trustee of Swau, and her name is, please tell us. Lily Gilvaletta. Hello, everyone. Ooh, she just sounds already so professional. You know, I feel so like... There you go. Get, keep going. Keep going. Everybody's <laughs> going to be like, wow, these people are... They know what they're doing. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Let's Who just have she? fun. By the way, this is... I'm just going to interview you. You, where are you from? Ah, See, you are in around. No, I am from China. Many of oh, us, sure. everybody knows where I'm from. And everybody knows where Vitor is from. We're like those little minorities on campus. It's okay. But, I was that one day. Exactly. In so, this campus. Yeah, tell us about it when you were like um, a Swahu student. Wait, I think you, you start, before, Vitor? let's give our guests an actual introduction. Let's say what she's been doing. She mm-hmm. She is more than just... A famous alumni. She is the famous alumni. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm probably not going to cover everything. I'm just going to skim over it. But we know that Lily here is a correspondent for Fox News. Yep. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a commentator, a business a commentator. commentator. Yeah, that's business. different. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. And she also runs an agency uh-huh. that sells cultural intelligence. intelligence. That's right. Nice. And... Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, with that in mind, this is not just any guest. Okay, guys. No, it's not. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. Oh my goodness! And Look at she, all the pressure. She started here at Southwestern. Well, that that might be a little getting into her story. So I yeah. Did. So we wanna we wanna hear all about it. And yeah, you can you keep us leading? She she took over. You know, like. I can't lead her anywhere. She leads us. So let's follow her. Take us to your word, please. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, I love that we're having this fun, fluid conversation. If you're listening, please do me a favor. Smile right now. That's right. Give yourself the gift of a smile. It makes everything better. And I really needed to learn how to smile and probably not say much when I was in this campus for the first time because I couldn't speak English. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I landed here. It was my home in the United States, first place where I came from Colombia. Mm. So that's where I'm from. And I was 17 because I graduated early from high school. And I came for the ESL program because back then there was a fully immersive English as a second language program. So that was it. That's where it all began. And I did a lot of smiling without talking because I didn't understand anything that was going (laughs) around me. Believe it or not. Right. Going with the, yes, thank you, yes. I was like, yes. uh-huh, yeah, hola. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Liliana. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's it. Don't ask anything else. Did you have a lot of money when you came, Lily? Were you one of those no. international students that just has so many ca- no, so much and cash? You, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you're asking that because now the older version of me realizes how hard it must have been for my parents. So, no, I wasn't one of those kids. And I did do all the random jobs that international mm. students get to do on campus. 
Um, I think the only place where I did not work was the cafeteria. I stayed away from the cafeteria. But I did work <laughs> at the library, which I am this old. It had just like opened. It was brand new. Wow. I know I'm old. Uh, and then I did everything I could do at the dorm and then eventually in the business school when I learned how to speak English. Um, so yeah, I know I, I had to figure it out. Had to figure it out. So you just came in no english no no, no english no did you did you have any uh university study that you came nope. from nope you just came nope, in from because i was 17 i was a baby i think i was well i was as a fact because when i looked at the yearbook that year i was the youngest student in the entire you know campus um because i i mean i was a baby i was 17 and um No, I, I mean, I didn't think I was going to stay. I came for a one-year program. Oh. That was it. Mm -hmm. So back then, I know this sounds like I sound ancient, people. But back then, international students could come just to do this immersive English program. And the promise was that when you finish that year program, you would be college ready, right? So you take the TOEFL and all that stuff that you do when you speak another language and the program was really really good mrs willis was the teacher and she was from australia and i remember that so well because her accent was the coolest thing ever so we learned proper english and um that that was it and then after i was done with my esl program my parents did come to visit um and that's when my mom looked at me and she was like do you want to stay and i was like huh I didn't know that was an option, really. <laughs> sure, I'll stay. Because I had my university, like, you know, cupo, how do you say that? Like your, your, your admissions, like, seat oh. saved back in Colombia. And I was supposedly going to go back, study international business. I always wanted to do something in business, and I never went back. And I stayed. Ta-da! So what was your major when you decided to stay? I was a business major. I love numbers. So I was like finance and accounting and I wanted to do all that. I saw myself sitting in a corner office somewhere like in New York. And it's funny because I ended up eventually in my corner office in New York. But it was this numbers business thing. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do this. But you don't know. So everybody listening, heads up, students, you think you know what you are going to do. Don't stress over it. You really don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I thought I knew. Um, but I, I definitely, that business track was the thing. And I just took it from there. And so how long it took you to... So how was your stay here? Did you graduate in four years? Was it a normal process? Well, it was five because I had to do the year ESL. Right, right. So it was longer. Um, yeah, it was just... You know, I went through it all. It was, I think I skipped a couple of classes. Woohoo! Because from my math back home, I was able to like clip some classes because um, I had like advanced math from where I came from. So I did do that. And I think it helped me catch up because uh, I try not to fill up, especially my first year um, of credits because I had just learned how to speak English. It's like, woo. <laughs> I used to ask the professors, this is funny, and they were so sweet about it. I asked them to give me extra time after the exams. So everyone would be gone and the classroom was empty and there I was 
still sitting because <laughs> I'm like, I need to get this right. I was a nerd. I graduated almost with a 4.0, and it's a funny story why it wasn't 4.0. You gotta ask me about it. What is that funny story? Please tell. So, I was in the Coraliers then, I don't know what you call them now, but like the chamber singers, you know, that you audition for. No, choir was everybody choir. Oh. But there was like a different singing group. Um, which was called the Mispa Coraliers. Oh. And for that one, you had Fancy. to audition. And everyone that was in it was like a music major, like intense, like people that came from music. Now, I am musical and I grew up in a family where like a bunch of people are musicians, but I'm like a closet musician, whatever. <laughs> Enough to like sort of help with worship and that's it. But I auditioned for this fancy choir and I got in so but to be in that fancy choir you had to go to class as if you were like a music major type so I audited choir and I made sure in the admissions office okay I'm gonna audit that's not my real degree but I need to go because I'm in this group whatever and that first year or that first semester when I had my first set of like exams in English I totally skipped every practice. And I told the conductor, I was like open about it. It's like, listen, I'm not coming. It takes too much time and I need to focus on like exams and I'm scared and I just learned how to speak English. Anyhow, when I got my transcript, I got a C in choir. But you audited it. That's what I told them. And I fought and I cried and I talk to anyone that would listen and they did not change it oh my god so i gotta look back in the books of history who the heck was admitting (laughs) doing the admissions process then or whatever academics but i they put it as actually for credit yeah so that's why i didn't graduate with a 4.0 oh my gosh because i gotta see inquire that's gonna make me so mad i gotta see inquire i know anyway that was a lame long i don't think i've ever told this story for the record Well, so this is an exclusive. You're the first. (laughs) you're the first to hear that but there you go pay attention if you're auditing triple check because i got dinged and i gotta see inquire you know what's the funniest thing is like it doesn't matter what year it is and like what generation it is it seems like a school administration is always on the hot topic like they're always messing up our stuff there's always well i have a i have a good story this is fun and again another great experience i lived when i was here for some reason and this is since i was a child i had an obsession with australia the country, right? I think it's so cool and, you know, the surfing, the kangaroos, whatever. And I was like, I wanna go to Australia, I wanna go to Australia. And I was like, with this, like, I wanna go to Australia. So I forgot what program we had. See all these old programs. We gotta bring them back. President Patterson, let's bring them back. (laughs) ESL and the exchange programs, because I did go to Avondale for a year. And when I went to Avondale, because it's the European system, which is kind of like what I grew up with in Colombia, you never have multiple choice questions. This is like, it was a weird American thing I had to learn. Um, But I went to do my sophomore year at Avondale and I was like back in the European system. Like, great, essays, you answer questions. There's no multiple choice. And all of a sudden I was getting like 
the equivalent to C's, like 75%, 80%. I was mad. I'm like, what's going on? Well, when they transferred those grades back to American grades, they're all A's. So I, uh-huh, it's, it's because things are weighted differently. So anyway, where, why am I telling that story? Oh, I see. Said so <laughs> not all things are bad with the administration, you know, grades people, because they, I guess, paid it forward. When I came back from Australia and I'm like looking at this, like, ew, look at this transcript. I was like, no, don't worry. The grading system is different. So those are actual A's. I'm like, oh, okay. So there you go. I made it up. With my C from choir. And then the C's in Australia apparently are A's in America. So whatever. Anyway. Life is just Yeah, different. this is, that's, I think that's like a, a saga <laughs> that every international student has to go through. I know. With transcripts and, and having to translate. Uh, that's, that's what I'm currently going through, translating my classes that I took in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And having to get them approved. And it's like, mm-hmm. sir, please. I, I promise I studied Please just just believe me. <laughs> and well, you know what people don't believe? I don't know how it is in Brazil, but in Colombia, we take calculus in 10th grade as part of regular curriculum. That's why I clipped a bunch of math classes. And mm. it's like, it's not because you're in a special honors program. They just kind of make you do all this stuff. Right. So anyhow, A, for those international students listening, look back at your credits, fight for that. Right. Translate them I, I and believe. clip if you can, because I did it for a lot of math. <laughs> well, that works. I believe one of the reasons, and this is something that I've only seen in America. I'm not sure about Colombia, but in America, this whole general classes in college, like it's just an American thing. We it's don't true. have that in Brazil. In my first year, I did one year of university, and I was taking all of my classes in in, for your major. in, in advertising and publicity. Yep. I was not doing math or history. That was all high school. So they really cram everything into high school. Yeah. So if you've graduated I, from high school, you're like already set. You know. That's true. Anyway, but um, back to life over here. It, it was it was great. I think. Um, let me dig out other stories that you may not know. We, I got to be the first president, I guess that was the title of it, of what was then the first ever like business club, I think is the preamble to Enactus. Oh. So Students in Free Enterprise um, was the very first ever, and I was... I was you, you. Because <laughs> once I learned how to speak English, nobody could, like, stop me from talking. Um, so it, She's it, probably saying I talk too much. It so. was like my first year, I was like very, hi, I'm learning. And then once I learn and I'm, like, full on in my whole business stuff. And I ended up working at the business department. And mm. Anyway, Dr. Chi was our amazing business professor then amazing i think he eventually went to andrews and somewhere else and we sort of say hi on facebook hello dr chi you're amazing anyway so with him we started the students in free enterprise um competitive like enactus and we i'll never forget when we went to our first kind of like statewide big thing type of competition um that was enactus it was the students in free enterprise, okay. which different universities had it too. Like uh, all universities, like Texas A&M and UT and TCU. And then we're there and everyone's like, ah, oh, 
who is that school? And we won. <gasps> I have kind of feeling. I know. I think somewhere in like a Tupperware container somewhere, I have the report from that year. But we were, I mean, sorry, this is a technical term, but we were badass. <laughs> Um, I mean, there was so much on business and community and impact. There was like, it was very 360, the stuff we did. Um, and the way we, re the way the presentation was, because I remember how we rehearsed it. It was like a choreography. Um, and I have pictures of that. I ha it's It was amazing. And everyone, I remember at this big, it was like a big hotel convention center type place where Everyone's like, what? Who was, who's that? They're like, ha, <laughs> surprise. And we weren't even swow. You guys are cool. We were, we were still Southwestern Adventist College. SAC. Uh -huh. I know. So we're like, college? What's that? And we're like, we beat you. Stop it. So I was involved in that. Mm. Um, super involved in the business school like yeah. really working for dr chi mm -hmm. and that became like my official job eventually um after doing random things at the library and other places um and then um <laughs> you guys are gonna die i have pictures <laughs> to prove it uh we had a varsity cheerleading team <gasps> I've been wanting to start a journey ever since I was here. You can talk to Ding Tay. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think, and this I feel ancient when I talk about this, but the other day, because now I'm on the board of trustees, so official, <laughs> we're having an event at the museum. Oh, so and are they those are, They're uniform? real, yes. Are those belong to you guys? That was my oh uniform. My when I saw the, I was like, so excited when I saw it hanging up on the wall. I'm like, yes, can't believe that. That's our uniform. Vitor, one day, like our essay uniform is gonna be on that wall. Okay. That's right. <laughs> the history books. Let 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 the record show that I hope it doesn't because this maroon suit, you please. There were so many options. If I want any suit hanging, it's not gonna be the maroon one. We need to change it if we're gonna hang it. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, we had cheerleaders, so I was. Part Part of that, I was doing the business things. I was so involved. I think I was like representative for like the school senate, whatever, for the mm -hmm. dorm. Um, so I guess, hey, kids, and I tell everyone, if you really want to lead and do something, it starts now. You don't have to wait. Create those moments and make them fun. Because look, you, if you even feel like it, just start a cheerleading squad. Why not? Exactly. Do it. Exactly. And the essay election is coming up. So I knew she was going to plug that. I knew she was going to plug that. Shameless. Look at that. I endorse you. The perfect essay president. What can I say? There you go. So I was quite busy, guys, as you can hear, because I was in the like fancy choir doing the enactus of the time and uh, varsity cheerleader. <laughs> and yes, studying, because I did study my butt off. Yeah, we're all like try-harders. 
Yes. As international students, especially, I don't know what it is about international students. We're just like, we want to be the best. The, ha- the hustle. We got to do it. Yeah, the hustle. True. And then it's funny. All of us here in this room, three of us, we're all international That's right. students. right. Look we at this. We can definitely relate. Yeah. But you know what? This is, and I'm going to sound so cheesy and like whatever cliche, but this is the beauty of America. Seriously. You can be anything you set your mind to. And... Um, a lot of people ask me, I'm sure we'll get to that because otherwise it'll be three hour interview. But um, how did I end up in big corporate world and right. huge positions and now with my own business and on television? Mm-hmm. And and I did do a keynote here on campus probably three years ago. This was right before COVID. Um, and I made sure to kind of retell my story because every moment of your life is a chapter that leads to that journey that you choose to pursue and continue. And I say, unapologetically, it doesn't matter where you are today, whether you are you know, helping the business school or picking up trash or volunteering at camp, do the absolute best that you can for that moment and place where God has put you to serve. And excellence, there's no shortcut for excellence, but preparation and the mindset and the resilience to do so. So I just did that. It didn't matter what I was doing. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be the best I can be. And that takes you places. I wasn't pursuing and chasing title or position or the company, you know, X. I was deliberately just giving my absolute full potential and attention and focus at that moment. And people will notice. So I had two, I had a couple of kind of fun job offers straight out of school. Um, And we can get to that. It's like, how did I go into corporate world? I did go straight from Keene, Texas into big opportunities and made the most of them. Right. So now you got to tell me. Yeah, I was going to ask how yes. and specifically in in the TV in the television world how mm. how what what was that what was that process what was that step so um it's so funny cuz i don't consider myself a tv person even though people shameless plug i'm on tv every week so i i am so on fox news on fox business uh, on a couple of the spanish networks like i'm on univision next week on the news but i ended up there this is so fun tell this to young people all the time too so when I was done with my corporate career I know we just skipped a big chunk of my history we'll get to that in a moment but when I was when I decided to leave my big corporate career to pursue the creation of my business and everything I knew that I had a kind of like a superpower which was this ability to dissect and explain the numbers in trends, in economics, in the market, in a way that was simple and inspiring for people. So that's why today I say that I'm in the business of cultural intelligence and that's what my company does. So we help big corporations understand how the shifting trends and demographics of this country apply to their business. And I kind of gave that the title of cultural intelligence. So people talk about business intelligence, but to me it's like cultural intelligence, like you understand people, 
trends, changes. So when I, I w- that was like my thing. And when I was at Johnson & Johnson, I was like the advocate for that in my big position there in marketing. I was pushing, pushing, pushing for the power and numbers that the shifts in this country represented. So when I left my corporate job, and this is 2000 and, oh my gosh, I'm so old, 2008, um, when YouTube was barely becoming a thing, um, and this is before everybody had a makeup tutorial video and everyone wanted to be a YouTuber or whatever. (laughs) So I started my YouTube channel almost when YouTube was just beginning. And my YouTube channel was these one to two minute videos where I would explain trends. So it was a business focused channel. Um, And it randomly in the streets of New York, I would be like, hey, did you know that one in two kids in public schools in New York City is a minority? That means the future of the city is made up of that. And if you don't pay attention, you're gonna self-expire. And I would like do little things like that based on numbers. So a local newspaper in New York, a pretty big one actually, the New York Daily News, contacted me out of the blue. Oh, wait, before that. So my channel, I started making these random videos and I call them moments to culturize. And kind of playing with the word of culture and rise. So you're rising your culture, whatever. Anyway, moments to culturize. And I started putting out these videos and, you know, 50 views, 100, 2,000, 30,000. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. This is becoming a thing. And I really noticed this was quite impactful when I would go into like a big marketing conference somewhere in New York. This happened to me with somebody from Coca-Cola. And this executive from Coke approached me. It was like, oh my gosh, it's you. I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. We just played one of your videos at one of our meetings. That's crazy. It was so crazy. That's crazy. And there was another one. This was this really warmed my heart. This girl that, it was an intern that we hired one summer from Penn State. I'll never forget that. And she was like a marketing major, like super sassy, smart girl, Emily. And Emily, I remember when she came and kind of interviewed with us, she's like, oh my gosh, you, our professor showed your video at our class. And I was like, this is so funny. So everywhere from like, meetings at Coca-Cola to like some professor at Penn State is like watching my videos. So the newspaper, New York Daily News, contacts me randomly. And they're like, hey, we're doing a story of people that are using social media in interesting ways. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm thinking, great, I'm one of who knows how many, like the yoga lady, the makeup lady, the whatever. And I'm like, sure, I'll do it, that sounds fun. And they're like, great, we're gonna send a reporter to your office and we are gonna kind of work on this story. Good. So they show up at my office, like the full like photo crew, reporter from the Daily News. They took these really cool pictures in the middle of like a street in New York. They made me like hold my computer in one hand. It was like a really cool picture. I'm like, great, this is cool. So I'm waiting for the article to come out. And I, again, I'm thinking I'm this one person of many. And yes, it was many people featured, but they put me, this is one of those newspapers that is like a square format, Mm -hmm. like the ones that you pull out in the 
like train station in New York kind of. Anyway, so I was the full page, like wow, full picture with my computer holding and they were like, well, you're so interesting because everyone else is doing like the recipes, the makeup, the fun stuff, right? Which is cool. But you're like the business person. So when that article hit the street and the streets of New York, literally, a TV producer started contacting me and I thought he was a weirdo, Greg, now he's my friend. But he was like, on Facebook, anywhere he could, leaving comments on my YouTube channel. I was like, who is this creep? <laughs> it's like, I gotta talk to you. I wanna meet with you. So ladies, take note. I did meet with him, but it's like, let's do it in a public place, like mm -hmm. Starbucks, <laughs> in the middle of the day in New York when there's a thousand people around. Um, so Greg called me and I met with him and he looked at me in the eyes. He's like, you need to be on television. And I'm like, I don't want to be on television because I'm starting my business. I had just left my corporate job, so I was building my new company. I'm like, no, that's a distraction. I don't need to be on television. I'm not a journalist. I'm, I was like, no. In a way, this is funny, I was thinking that going on television was gonna like devalue my brand as a business person. How silly of me. Now everybody's like paying to get on television as an expert. <laughs> but anyhow, he was just, he told me something I'll never forget. He said, there is no one on television like you. And I'm like, whatever. Why do you say that? And I went into my Hispanic corner, right? Like, he's like, oh, he's going to say there's no one. So I started rattling names of like, amazing Latinas that were on CNN or NBC, like, you know, Natalie Morales. And at the time, you know, Soledad O'Brien was a big deal in CNN. And I mentioned all these ladies. He's like, no, none of them have been corporate executives. None of them are business people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, and by the way, they're not perfectly bilingual either. Mm. There you go. And I was like, oh, okay. So he was like, let me just introduce you to some of my friends. See, it takes kind of like an angel and a mentor. So take note. First of all, I did the YouTube channel out of passion and not because I wanted to get noticed. So first lesson for those listening. And then the second thing was I was willing to take a shot with somebody that was, I guess, saw potential in me. I don't know how many times you all, especially as young people, maybe somebody tells you, well, like I was chatting with you in the car and it's like, hey, you should really think about, I don't know, marketing because it's like anthropology, psychology, this and that. If somebody tells you that and is somebody with a decent criteria and background, you should pay attention. Right. And, and Greg was that for me. And then he was like, um, I'm going to introduce you to some friends. And he introduced me to people at NBC and people on Fox. And for a while, I was going on both networks. Um, it was weird because every time, every show that I was on, on actually MSNBC, would get canceled. I'm like, is it me? What's happening? <laughs> but yeah, see, like the shows that I would get into a rhythm with will change and, and that happens on television all the time. They just cancel, switch around, whatever. And then Fox, I will never forget, my first segment on Fox was awesome. I just felt so comfortable. That was the time when President Obama, well, candidate Obama at the time, was, well, 
Was he president? No, he was being reelected. He was kind of running up against Mitt Romney at the time. And they made it so easy for me because I'm like the numbers, trends, Hispanic girl, whatever. And they were asking me about the Hispanic vote. And right. I was so comfortable on the set. Right. I was just like, this is easy, great. And there it started. So I was discovered on YouTube, basically. That's the story. Mm -hmm. And then Greg saw something. He pushed me, also with no agenda, because he wasn't like being, no. He just said, listen, you need to be on TV. And fast forward, <laughs> now, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on regularly as a business gal and bringing the numbers and all that stuff. So now it's so funny because people that don't know me or when they see my title on TV and they introduce me as, you know, cultural intelligence expert and CEO of CM Plus, people still don't get it. It's like, oh, but you don't work on television? I'm like, no. I go on to analyze the news, the economy, the markets, whatever. It's like, oh, okay. So that's how it happened. YouTube, I'm entered the saw potential and I just took the risk and did it. And it's been right. fun. It's right. a lot of fun. So so passion projects are something that really count. Yeah. When it comes to being discovered and being found. Like without an agenda. Because mm -hmm. I've talked to so many people that especially now in the era of influencers <laughs> as a career, it's like You're doing it to get noticed. And sure, if that's your business and you're getting paid for clicks and likes and whatever, sure. But there's nothing more powerful than the authenticity of you talking about something that you genuinely love and are right. passionate about. Right. And that's the most successful people, um, in my humble opinion, that are not trying so hard to get noticed. You know, the girls that are posing so hard in all the weird places to try to get a perfect picture that has mm -hmm. 12,000 filters is just not authentic. Right. So own your lane so you're not just like anybody else. And mine was very clear what the numbers mean in business, period. Then I labeled it cultural intelligence and I stayed in my lane. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And it was out of passion, not out of some agenda I had to get on TV. Right. So, yeah. But now I'm on TV. Yay. It's fun. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> One of the segments that I've watched from you and Fox before, I think it was during the election time, mm -hmm. uh, you were dissecting the Florida votes. Mm -hmm. And I found it really interesting how you really showed how sometimes we take the, the Hispanic vote as something granted, as something like, oh, this is guaranteed mm -hmm. democratic. When it's not precisely, and it, and there are very there there are various things that go into that, into into which, and there are many times of different Hispanic, different mm -hmm. Hispanic cultures and 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 how they vote and how they each think, yeah, and yeah. So and that is directly influencing how your what your company does as a business, correct? That is correct, and I have managed to. I feel so blessed every day. My team is amazing, so I have managed to create a company that brings the power of data and strategy and marketing to help the biggest brands in the world, because those are who our clients are, um, really understand how to tap into the changes in the market. So for example, um, 100% of the population growth in this country is coming from diverse segments. So that means 
And this just came with the new 2020 census results that if it wasn't because of the diversity of our country, the population in America would be shrinking. So it would be negative growth rate in size mm-hmm. as a nation, which is what happens to a lot of like European countries that are struggling because people don't have babies. And it's, it's very interesting because the the youthfulness of a country is what gives it uh, a viable pipeline of workforce and of brain power and competitiveness and entrepreneurship, et cetera. So I have created a company that helps the likes of Google and Pepsi and Johnson and Johnson now because I used to work there and now they're my client. <laughs> um, United Health Group and you know Nestle and Kellogg's, the biggest companies you can think of, trust us because we can show them the numbers, the data, and then help them build the roadmap, the strategy of how they need to go about applying this information into their business, and then actually creating the programs, the strategies, the campaigns, the partnerships so that they can tap into that growth. Because if 100% of your, if America's population growth is coming from diverse segments and you don't have diverse segments integrated into your strategy, then you're not gonna grow. I and mean, this is no rocket science. It's mathematically impossible for any brand or company to get their full potential in today's America without being inclusive or without having cultural intelligence in their strategies. So we go at it from a very kind of nerdy perspective and they appreciate that and that's kind of like our competitive advantage. So I have now offices, my gosh, in like six different cities. Um, We were headquartered in New York until I moved from New York to Texas last year. So I've been here now for a year. Um, So our headquarters are now here in Irving, so in Dallas. Uh, Still have my team in New York, but I move our headquarters here because I'm here. And then we have people in Miami and LA, and I started an office with my business partner a few years ago in Colombia, where I'm from, and now we have 33 employees in Colombia. So we are growing in Latin America too. Um, And that's what we do, turning cultural trends into profits for big companies. I love that. I I was looking through your website and Mm -hmm. I saw some graphs showing the projected population of the US in in the coming years. And I think that the graph ended at 2040 Mm -hmm. with uh, the US being majority minority. Yes. And almost half of the population is Hispanic. Yes. And so, so where do you see, do you see that more companies like yours are gonna be, uh, how, how do you think that the market's gonna look by that time? Oh my gosh, I think, here's my best parallel for that reality. So yes, 2040, I love that. Everybody remember that, because that is the pivotal point where we become a majority minority nation. However, here we are in the great state of Texas, Texas is already majority minority. California is majority minority. Eight of the 10 largest cities in America which are the ones that drive all the sales for most of the companies, eight of the 10 largest cities are already majority minority. So you can sit like fat and happy waiting for 2040 and miss out on a lot of opportunity or realize that that's today in many of the biggest markets in our country. It's, it's a numbers game. To me, it's not emotional. This is like, okay, tell me how you're gonna grow. So yes, what's gonna happen with the industry, this is my crystal ball. Um, I feel very strongly that inclusive marketing or inclusive business, what I call cultural intelligence, 
is will no longer be a specialty. Just like in the world of marketing, knowing and doing digital marketing is no longer a specialty. So you guys, the good old millennials and Gen Zs that are like digital natives, I wasn't, fun fact, the first time I ever got on the internet, sort of internet, this was when it was black screen with a cursor that blinks that was green. <laughs> You guys are like, I've only what? seen it in movies. I've only... Well, the first time The one I that s- makes the sound... The oh, little... that was the bah, modem. Bah. That, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I've it sounded that. like. Well, the first time I experienced that was at our library here when we had our computer lab open and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you can actually connect... Yes, uh, yes, you take it for granted. But where am I going with that? Oh, digital. So to me, the best parallel to your question, to answer that question, is how digital embedded into the way we communicate and marketing is no longer a specialty. I mean, if you don't know digital, you don't know marketing, period. That's just the way it is in the world today. So my humble opinion is you cannot be an effective and strategic business leader without this notion of inclusion as part of your business. Right. Because the numbers are just not going to work any other way. So I think it's going to become this new mainstream. And what we are doing as a company to stay completely ahead, and our vision as a company literally says to be the authority in cultural intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's our obsession, our team knows that. So we're doing it through technology. So everyone can know how to do the campaigns and the strategy and maybe the consultant stuff, but we have created intellectual property with our own technology platform called Culture Intel, short for cultural intelligence, so that we have our own proprietary methodologies and technologies so that companies buy us, not just because we have great ideas in our head, like a consultant, but actually have a product that delivers information and intelligence like nobody else. So that's our way to stay ahead. But I feel everyone is going to have to do it Mm -hmm. right. Eventually. Yeah, because otherwise you'll miss out on the majority of the market and it makes no sense. No sense. Uh, That's one thing that that I notice now in in, in in Dallas a lot. You, depending on your neighborhood, you'll see outdoors fully in Spanish. Yep. No translation. No no English subtitles, just fully in Spanish because that's who's looking at them and they all speak it. So yep. ig- ignoring that fact and ignoring that audience, it's just... It's just, it's just dumb. Right? I tell that to my clients respectfully. Um, I um, Back to the whole cultural thing because those that are listening that are not Hispanic, this is not me doing the Hispanic rah, rah, rah. No, this is America, which is so beautiful, is the fact that we are a multicultural nation. And you either understand that or not. And if you don't, you're going to miss out on getting to the heart of people Mm -hmm. and being effective. And it's a new mainstream. There's a reason why, (laughs) when I tell this to my Texan friends, they don't believe me, but check it out. Uh, Fact check me. Um, Latin music is more popular than country music and electronic music in America, for example. And the most stream artist of 2021, as well as 2020, this is when everybody's like locked at home, and probably listening to more Spotify than ever before. But the most stream artist in the world, 
in the world two years in a row is Bad Bunny. Hmm. He only sings in Spanish, people. Vitor was gonna sing. It's okay, but but that's just a hint of the fact that even if you don't understand a word, it started with Despacito when it became like the most streamed song ever, most watched on YouTube. I've been in the most random cities in the middle of nowhere in Europe and I've heard it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's just because it's a cultural um, influence that has mass market appeal. But it's not just Hispanic things. I can I can bore you to tears with like useless trivia. Like the fact that there are more there are more Chinese restaurants in America than KFCs, McDonald's, and Taco Bells combined. Oh my gosh. So it's stuff like that. It's still so hard for me to find a good Chinese restaurant. Well, you're in, Ke- you're in Keene, Texas. <laughs> but no, seriously. So it's that's another mainstream. So it, it, it's just the influence. There are so many things like that that we take for granted. I agree. Like the how fast Korean... K-pop started K-pop. rising yeah. here. I was just not even ready for it. Like on Netflix, yes. the top tens, you always find a Korean dramas on there. That's crazy. When you look, actually, I'm so glad you mentioned that one because that's another one of my useless trivia facts. Um, when you look at the most popular artists, you know, on Instagram or whatever, it's like BTS. Selena Gomez, J Balvin, and the K-pop kids. I mean, BTS. they're it's crazy. So. I will never forget this happened in New York City. <laughs> it's so weird. I was driving down Fifth Avenue, so right by oh. the park. And I forgot where I was going, but I was like, what's going on? Like the whole like row right like up against the park, Central Park, had all these kids. Well, they were camping, <laughs> literally camping. For the concert that was happening the day after. And it was like some, I'm so old, I don't even know the <laughs> names, but it was a BTS, BTS like group that was coming. And it wasn't Asian kids. It was all kids, right? <laughs> and they had tents and chairs. And I was like in awe to that's New York City. They were waiting for the day after. So again, culture informs the new mainstream Mm -hmm. of America and the world for that matter. And it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, We see it in entertainment with Black Panther still to this day is the highest grossing revenue Marvel movie of all time with the fact that we don't talk about Bruno has beaten (laughs) Frozen, um, you know, which was the number one hit for Disney. And now it's like... Forget it. Now it's like, we don't talk about Bruno, right. no, no. And it's things like that that just become a new mainstream. Mm-hmm. There you go. Culture is a beautiful thing. So it applies to all, by the way. It's not just a Hispanic thing. Right. That that one scene that you described, the people camping for concerts, <laughs> that brought me back to Brazil when people like Justin Bieber <laughs> and American celebrities would come to Brazil and people would be missing weeks of school because Just they were <laughs> because they wanted to line up to buy the, the tickets. It was crazy. So seeing this happen here with uh-huh. artists from all over the world, that is just crazy. There was this one video I saw today of a Bad Bunny concert filled, 
filled thousands of seat and and it's it's just crazy to see like artists growing like mm -hmm. like this in america exactly and bad bunny what's funny half of those people probably in that concert probably don't even understand a word <laughs> but it's fine who cares it's like they still sing along they still sing along it's, yeah i mean we we would sing along to english musics and we had no idea i know what I they, grew up what with they that. were oh my god i know I, i remember like the icarly theme song i knew that by heart and i had no idea <laughs> what any other words meant i was just going <laughs> and making it up as we go well what's the other one the fresh prince i also knew that one oh I my god did not know a single word and i was single word but you seeing see. seeing that happen here with with hispanic artists and and korean artists that's that's great and it's it's lovely to see that that market grow that's exactly right so. i actually i actually had a question that I think we're getting close to the end, so this is a little a little longer question. And I want to give you some time to answer, but it was uh, so I am a, a PR and advertising major, and we were having a field trip mm -hmm. uh, where we went through some advertising agencies in in the Fort Worth area, mm -hmm. and Pavlov. yeah, Pavlov and in other in other mm -hmm. agencies uh, that we have connections at the school and. We were noticing. Well, like, we need to change that because there's CN Plus that works with Google and Pepsi. <laughs> so, so we work with all kinds of fancy brands. So we yeah. need to be. So that's where we need to be going next. But this, what what it was interesting about, we went through to three, to three agencies. Well, one of them wasn't really an agency, but how it was was the first one. It was a smaller one, and our class is like majority hispanic mm -hmm. hispanic and, and latino i'm not hispanic so i you're I, latino me i use you uh, are <laughs> i use the term latino because that's where i feel included so we were we were majority latino just don't call us latin x please oh no oh no that that's another that's, that's another. the worst fashion forward whatever people need some cultural thing. intelligence to <laughs> stop using la no latinx no latinx. don't x me Continue, Señor Latino. <laughs> yes. So we so we were going, and the first agency, they were all white. And they mm -hmm. had one one e executive, and he was in a higher position, that was that was Latino. I believe he was also from Colombia. Oh, there you go. Uh, but, and then we went to, and, and, we, and we just noticed that. And we just noticed that, and we're like, oh, there's only one, but he's in a higher position, so, so, that, so that's good. We went to the second one. And that was a much bigger company, and it was no one. It was no one. No Latinos. All white. Majority female. Majority white females. And we we were that like that sounds like a PR agency. Typically, it's like right. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. They do a lot of they do a lot of PR, but they it was just a lot of white people, and we were like, and they were talking about how they like to have include how to be inclusive and diverse and, and and they were talking and talking about how they value diversity and we were looking around and we're like where 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 are they the walk the talk that's what's happening to brands they're mm -hmm. being called out right especially after 2020 george floyd everyone wants to be right. so you know in tune with diversity um it, it's you gotta walk the talk anyway mm -hmm. continua And then the last one, the last one was not an advertising agency. It was a printing 
company. Mm. And in the printing company, this was really interesting because they worked a lot with paper. So they had this one part where it was the office. And they were not as fancy as as cool as creative as the other ones. They were more like industrial. So the office part, we were noticing, again, all white employees in the office. And then they took us to the manufacturing part where they print out the big copies and the prints and the metallic prints and all that. And we... And then we started to see our people. <laughs> a few, a few, a few diversities, mostly African American working on the machinery. And but still, still not many. But the moment, let me tell you, we kept going through like the, the different processes and we got to the end. There was three tables, three long tables filled with Hispanic old ladies. All Aww. All folding. folding the papers and doing the manual labor, and it was and they didn't speak a word of English, mm. and you can see and and I remember turning to my classmates and I was like, well, if we intern here, you know, you're gonna be folding you know con la señora. Si <laughs> <laughs> señora, that's where we're gonna be. Señora, si señora. So great. and I was like, in in a in in a country, in a country like. Like this, where you have these two extreme different points of views. Mm-hmm. How do you sell to companies the importance of cultural intelligence and to market to these people? Because they are still not being represented in those higher yep. positions usually. Yep. So how, how do you do it? You know, I leave emotion out, right? Um, and this is, again, my point of view for those listening. I stay in my lane as a business person that is all about bringing the power of numbers and what it means for impact and growth. Punto. That's it. Period. So it's very easy and sometimes tempting to turn into an activist, right? Um, And that is when people are almost like fighting. Like, why? Almost like an entitlement mentality. Why are there not more of us there? Blah, 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 blah. And there's a place for that. And maybe those of you that want to be lawyers or work in lobbying or whatever, sure, be my guest. There's a place for that. But as a business person, you're asking me, how do I do this or my company? We bring it back to the numbers. And the numbers are so powerful no matter what category of business you're in, in terms of population growth, buying power, GDP contribution, um, especially at the state levels, it gets even much more exciting when you break out the numbers for a Texas, a California, et cetera, that you would have to be absolutely blind, dumb, and stupid, seriously, as a business person not to realize that you're literally leaving money on the table Mm -hmm. by not understanding how to tap into the full power of the numbers. Mm -hmm. And that is how you create a higher ground of conversation. And it may take some time because it's happening in corporate America to this day. It will take some time for the positions of leadership, and corporate boards to look like America. However, we got to start somewhere. And it's people like you. It's a campus like Suau and the makeup of a state like Texas that to me, it's a picture 
and a portrait of the new America. So even if you see, you know, the ladies folding and that's the only job they do today, you know, and you should know, in the case of Victor, and by the way, the fastest growing segment of the population in America is actually Asian Americans. So we'll get to that in a moment. But it's... Um, I'm next. Uh, yeah, but the biggest in size, and I mean, we're there's 62 million of us, and there's more Hispanics here, Latinos here, than Canadians in the entire country of Canada. It's just like crazy. But anyway, so it's it becomes a conversation that is very pragmatic, very numbers-driven, and because a lot of my clients... Actually, all of my clients are corporate types. That means they're publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. um, and not to get too tactical and boring here, but you know your share value, which is how this analyst in Wall Street attribute you know the valuation. Is this a buy or a sell type of company? Um, are attributed to your financial performance, right? Pretty simple. If you're doing well, you get a better score. If you're not, then not. And they compare you versus your peer group, your competitors, and that's how you get good rankings from the analyst. Well, I take that angle of shareholder value because these executives, and I was a corporate executive myself at J&J, we got compensated based on our financial results. And our financial results are a product of the estimates that you give to the street, to Wall Street, to the expectations. And then you either hit them or miss them or totally beat them and do amazing. Um, and a lot of these corporate leaders and have been very irreverent in some boardrooms where I say plain and simple, listen, you don't even have to like this or appreciate the cultures, I mean, because not everybody, whatever. However, I'll tell you, you won't get your bonus at the end of the year mm -hmm. because the numbers wouldn't work any other way. You'll miss your street expectations. Your shareholder value is going to erode. So you want to do this or not? And that's the way I do it. I know there's different styles and right now, a lot of people are talking about diversity, which I have a love-hate relationship. Actually, no, let me be plain and simple. I have a hate relationship with the word diversity. And I almost call it a D word, the D word of diversity, because I feel it has a bad reputation because it has been stereotyped into this social good, altruistic, sing kumbaya, hold hands, because we love diversity. And... That only gets you so far. I think inclusion and an inclusive approach to business is more powerful. So shameless plug for those listening, because you can go Google it. Um, last year, I did a TED Talk that is called Diversity is Overrated. So you can look it up. And I talk about this entire thing, kind of answering your question, in changing the dialogue to one that is more pragmatic, maybe a little bit capitalistic to some people, but that gets people's attention. And that's how I do it. So you all, let's say as students or, and by the way, this is not like, oh, you got to be a minority to be successful in business. No, but it gives you a different filter and an approach that 
you could leverage and make you competitive. But it's not just by pigmentation. Anybody that is a smart business person will understand how to do this and do it well. Period. Um, so that's the way to do it. I rise above the emotion. Let it be the numbers doing the talking. Love it. Well, sounds like a real businesswoman. Yeah. By the way, that's how I, I analyze politics on television. If you go back and look at any segment, people are so funny. They're like, what are you? And I'm like, who cares? I'm breaking down the trends and the numbers. So don't try to put me on a side, right or left, you know, Republican, Democrat. It's like, no. And I just bring it back to the center of what the numbers say. The minute you let emotion and opinion creep in, in the context of a business conversation, mm -hmm. then you kind of lose your power. Because then people will look at me, let's say back in my corporate life, oh, how cute, Lily, the Latina, saying Latinos are important. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, this is not like a favor. Like, no. So rise above that. Rise above that. Yeah, it only goes so far to use people's, you know. Identity. Yeah. Like yeah, you're good. And sure, I'm a great businesswoman that happens to be Latina. Exactly. Or you are a great student leader that just happens to be Chinese. Exactly. So, and yes, if you're smart about it, that could be a superpower. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, I'm entitled to this because I'm this or that. So, yeah, rise above that. God's creation is beautiful and colorful and we're all like made perfectly well um, but is how you see that role in business in my case and how you apply that uniqueness that makes you you as an advantage or not but making it objective objectivity is Man, my key I love that so much because I honestly like don't hear that often mm -hmm. you know a lot of minorities like to use it you know or like yeah but that's a victim mentality. <laughs> yes. Why am I not in the C-suite? Right. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to go. But then you work your butt off to make it to the C-suite and demonstrate with results, not because of pigmentation mm. <laughs> or last name. <laughs> you know, it's like, no. Yeah. Oh, so this is going to be my last, our last question. I promise All right. you. So thank you for so all of that. And then we just like, we noticed by now, at this point, everybody's going to know you are definitely a big deal to us. You're holding so <laughs> many things. You're doing so many things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So like business. Um, I'm a mom. You're a mom. Kids. Wife. Yes. And then you're, uh, you're the, what's that called? American Heart Association's board. I'm on the, yeah, I'm on You're, the marketing committee. I'm on the board of trustees yeah, here. And yes. I'm on the board of Zoomies, which mm -hmm. is a retailer, mm -hmm. a youth really fun retailer. <laughs> um, and that's probably one of my proudest accomplishments because mm -hmm. less than 2% of executives on the board of directors of a publicly traded company, less than 2% mm -hmm. are Hispanic. So I'm part of that very, very, very small group yeah. of executives on a public board. Um, but yeah, I'm busy. But I say yeah. no to a lot of things. Too. Right. <laughs> That's smart. So what my question is, like, why you chose to be a sit on the Swawoo's board of trustee? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's going to be very interesting. So uh, President Patterson found me on LinkedIn three years ago. 
This is when she was uh, teaching oh, wow. business classes, right? Uh, it's so funny because um, it's so weird. Anna, right, and I were students walking these hallways at the same time because we literally, I think we did graduate at the same time, same year. Hmm, I got to check. 99. Ah! Oh, that's oh. when I was born. Yes. So, okay. Professor Patterson at the time, right? She was my like classmate. We had some random classes together and we knew each other from then. So she reached out to me on LinkedIn mm. and invited me to be a speaker for the entrepreneurship class. Ah. Um, I think that was the class she was teaching, but it was a business class. Mm -hmm. So it was, that's how I reconnected with the school. Mm. It was perfect timing because I was thinking about moving back to Texas. So when, when um, you know, Professor Patterson then, now President yeah. Patterson, when she contacted me, I was still in New York City. So when I came, I flew in from New York um, for that speaking at the class. And I did like the keynote in the assembly. Um, and that's how I reconnected with the school. Mm. Then... Um, President Shaw was visiting New York. I forgot why. And this was already like COVID season. It was kind of weird. Because I remember we like to go to a restaurant. It was very like complicated. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but I met with uh, President Shaw in New York. And that's when he told me about the university and how it was growing. But there was one thing. And I know this is going to sound very specific, but I'll break it down and I'm on the record now. The one reason why in my busy world and life, I kind of paid attention to, huh, let me see how I can help uh, the university, mm. was when he told me that they had gotten this amazing accreditation from the federal government as a Hispanic-serving institution. For those of you listening, you may be like, okay, what's such a big deal about that? It's a big deal. How so? Because the federal government has to approve you, and there's a whole vetting process for you to get that credential. Mm. And I don't know the technicalities, but there's a certain percentage of your student body that has to be uh. Hispanic. But there's more than that. It's not right. just the number. Um, I mean, universities are twisting themselves upside down to try to get this certification. So when he said that SWAU had become a Hispanic-serving institution, that caught my attention. Um, in the many things I do, especially as it relates to Hispanic matters in Washington, D.C., whatever, I am very well aware of the value of that. Mm. Um because I've heard it and I've seen it in action in big, important circles in Washington. Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you got that. And that's when he told me, he was like, yeah, we're like the first and only Adventist university that is uh, an HSI, a Hispanic Serving Institution. But then it gets better. So here for all of you to feel proud and carry your head high. Um, this little but mighty university ranks number two in upward mobility. Huh. That is an epic accomplishment. And now I'm telling the Board of Trustees that we need to obsess in becoming number one. 
What does that mean? So upward mobility, which is also something that comes from the federal government and mm. is very competitive. So of the many, many Hispanic serving institutions, I mean, come on, guys, let this sink in. And this is like when you look at the listings, right, of top universities and U.S. news listing of this and that. This school is number two in upward mobility. What does that mean? That of those students that enroll, that are first generation college students, which a lot of our Hispanic kids are, mm. um, and of those that are Hispanic because we're considered one of those, and it's true, I mean, like kind of like a community at risk, meaning our graduation rates are not as high as Asians or others, but we are so many that if we don't fix this, it's gonna be bad for America. Anyway, that this university, the graduation rate of first-generation college students is so high, and the ability to place them in careers upon graduation, that's what makes us, and I'm, I'm sure there's other technicalities, ask, I don't know who would know, probably somebody in the academic mm. department, but Austin would know, Austin Powell, yeah. That um, we are demonstrating as a university our ability to make sure students enroll, stay, finish, and have a career. Mm. And that is upward mobility. I see. So you're creating a path that if one of our Hispanic students, I'm going to pick on my husband's alma mater, let's say goes to Texas A&M, they're going to get lost. Too many students. And if you all of a sudden, maybe English is your second language, or you're having to take care of your mom because she lives in Houston and she's not doing well and whatever, and you miss class for a week, nobody's going to notice. Here, and I know this is a fact now that I'm a board of trustees member, there are programs that are designed to coach you, support you, help you, and really nurture you in that journey Mm -hmm. to make sure you don't drop off. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I heard that HSI status and number two upward mobility is when I agreed to get involved. But I agreed to get involved with one condition. This is I put conditions um, that I wanted to focus on helping create um, a Hispanic scholarship fund and and uh, really put us at a different level and make sure that the world knew that this was our accreditation and our status. So I'm now on the board of trustees. I feel it's service is God's work is the changes in the school are so different. I was one of a handful of Hispanic kids at the time, back in the 90s, and the school looks completely different. Um, And the fact that that accreditation is established, and that's why we're getting so much support and millions and millions of dollars from the government, and people are noticing that we exist, I felt responsible to use my time, money, and resources, and influence to help with something that is already showing great results. That's why. Right. Uh, Just coming in with some numbers, because I know Lily is a numbers. Yay, um, I love it. So, 
to be in to be qualified as an HIS, you need 25% of your enrolled undergrad students. Oh, you are like at 40% almost. Yeah, yeah you need 25 and we come in at a whopping 47. 40 so pretty much 50% half. Half of the our, our students are Hispanic and that's not counting all minorities. If you count all minorities, that's 80%. So you are like the face of the new America. Yeah. So eighty percent is is minorities, and we have just a twenty percent that's a non-minority in the campus. So so yeah. So flip that around. That's how it was when I was here. Twenty percent. The yeah. world has changed, but the demographics of the country have changed. So the state right. of Texas, at the state level, is forty percent Hispanic. The state. Mm-hmm. So. This university, to me, is a portrait of the new America with mm-hmm. what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So powerful. That's, well. It sounds to me like that our student is like the treasure. Yes. Campus. Yes. <laughs> and I was telling, you know, I know you guys have, by the way, Connect. You have so many tools and gadgets that I didn't have when I was here. I wish I did. Whether it is you know, handshake or systems and things that I know, you know, are being put in place. Um, There's this new thing, look it up, I'm being shameless plug, of micro internships. Ask Mr. Austin Powell about it. It's going to hit the market soon. But there's so many resources that can put you in a position of opportunity. Yeah, so own it up and leverage all of it. So that's it. That's why I'm reconnected. Um, and I am just so proud of the stuff that the university is doing. Well, I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, knowing that somebody that's making decisions for this school, for the students on campus, uh, it's a board of trustee members, mm-hmm. and having the mindset that you have and then being who you are, knowing what you know, mm-hmm. uh, we, we're safe. We're safe, guys. There's well, plenty of keep, hope. keep keep giving your best. That's the best thing any student can do. Uh, pray for your leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just the historic HSI status we have as an Adventist university. But let us not forget, we have the first ever mm-hmm. Latina president of a mm-hmm. Adventist university. Woman. And the first yeah. woman in the yeah. history of the school period. So it's a big deal. And I think, again, pray for your leaders, young people. I think you guys are full of ideas and wisdom that as useful as I may think I am, I'm not. So please bring them up, right? Don't Mm -hmm. keep them inside. Why? Like you're losing on your own superpower if you let your idea just brew with you and the pillow. So bring it up. This school is small enough where there's that openness. Um, And if there's something you want to see, don't wait for others to do it. Just create it. Hey, we wanted cheerleaders. We got them. (laughs) (laughs) No, in all seriousness, it could be, um, it it takes that initiative. Don't be a passive. Many, now I've had the, Privilege, because I pinch myself every day of after Swau going to all kinds of fancy schools and big places. Um, I'm still pinching myself of this one. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to sound so boastful, but it's God's gifts. Um, but I'm actually um, a lecturer this spring at Harvard. 
um, at Harvard University. So wow. I am very involved with Harvard. I went there to the Harvard Kennedy School later in life with, um, you know, master's in public policy. And I am very involved with them. And I've been a product of the Harvard, you know, context and alumni network and all the fancy things. And there's just something special and different when you are in an environment like this one. And by no means, it makes you any less ready to eventually go to Harvard because I did. Mm. So anyone can. Mm -hmm. So there you go. But there's things that are very uniquely different and special that I have had the privilege of, you know, I'm a mentor for a business program at Stanford and I'm now doing these lectures at Harvard and I'm involved there and it's not the same. So please don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. I know that's easier said than done, but it's very special. Mm -hmm. Very special. The fact that you can go and like, what was it? Dance and celebrate after winning something with an <laughs> actus with your president. It's like, just seriously, don't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's anyone that represents what we were just talking about, upwards mobility, I think Lily is one mm -hmm. of the, as a great example of that. And our president, look at that, both graduated in the same year and now look at, look at their positions. She just mm -hmm. had, she just inaugurated the first Latino president. So that's, yep. and look at, and look at Lily, come on. Aww. Going to the Super Bowl, her own agency, yes. meeting the president. Oh all, my God. all three presidents. So all I'm actually going to be with President Biden for the Cinco de Mayo celebrations at the White House. But I am apolitical. I've been with President Obama, President Trump, you know, President Biden now this year with a lot of his stuff. So, yes. That's crazy. And if That's you have amazing. the access, do something with it. Mm -hmm. And never, ever, people, listen to this. Never, ever, ever, ever compromise where you come from and what you believe. Right. I have been so unapologetically open about whatever, my background, my ethnicity, my faith. Yeah. That's why I cannot wait to hang out with Joseph and Esther. They are badass from the Bible. <laughs> 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 Esther and Joseph, I think... <laughs> Those two. Seriously. Just, it's it's amazing. And I have met some of the most incredible leaders that I've had the privilege of spending time with closely, one-on-one -on -one and everything, are like that. So you are prepared. You don't settle with your excellence. You show up fully. Um, and you're authentically you. That's, that's a beautiful thing. I throw Spanish words in the middle of a broadcast on Fox News. I don't care. Um, when people ask me about faith, I'm very open about it. And I'm the owner of my own company, so I make my leadership team pray every so often. And whether they like it or not, I don't care. But hey. <laughs> and guess what? Most people like it. So, mm. oh, it's it's fine. Right. And... Um, Everyone, especially in society right now, wants to push so much of their either values, ideology, things on you. Well, inclusion is inclusive, so own up your own identity, whatever that is, um, unapologetically. It's, people will respect it more. So, there. Anyhow. Nice. My soapbox, I sound like a mom. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> I well, am a mom. Not that sounding like a mom is bad because you are a mom. I am. 
of two little boys. And, and as a technical term, a pretty baddest mom of that. A baddest mom. <laughs> and my mom was a baddest mom, and mm. rest in peace. Uh, she really inspired me a lot. Both my parents are badass people. Um, and my husband is super badass. He's coming in April. He's doing uh, the assembly. Oh, okay. so Look there you the go. He's a faithful guy, business guy, and a former NFL player. <gasps> so we're gonna have an athlete uh, in the house. So yes, he's coming. Nice. I think he's gonna speak to the business. Uh, you guys need to interview him now. Ha! Huh? So he uh, <laughs> he'll be here. More to come on that because eventually, when you're ready to get married, you it, that's very important too. The mm. right partner by your side, mm-hmm. and you learn through life. I feel like this one time it's we're gonna have to have you back, and then we're <laughs> gonna interview you? your husband, you know, and then we're probably gonna have another one, have both of y'all if possible. Mm-hmm. There's just so much we haven't got there, and then you already gave us a little. And bit. I have so many like, lessons, by the way. Yeah, there's just so much we want to know. Because <laughs> it's not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes in life, which are amazing. I mean, look at the Bible; it's full of flawed people. Yeah. And I love all of it. So mm-hmm. even when you fall down, get back up. That's all happening as a, you know, muscle builds when it breaks. Exactly. So there's, and it tears and it's like painful. So yeah, it's not all rosy, by the way, people. It's okay. Make mistakes. And when you're young, you're kind of silly sometimes. And (laughs) just do it. Don't get stuck in the pit. Get out of it quickly and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lily. Well, yeah, I think this was a great note to end on. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. And I just took this opportunity to just soak as much as I could. And this was truly great. To Follow me, people. Yeah. If you want a job, chase the job that you want. I was an mm. annoying young person stalking people everywhere. <laughs> now you all have LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook to find people. So there you go. So find me. On LinkedIn, Instagram, it's Lily Gill USA, Lily Gill on Twitter, and um, yeah, That's we sound- we are familia. That sounds great. Well, I, yeah, I was gonna let her do her closing remarks, but she just did. So. <laughs> Thank you guys so much Done. for listening. And yeah, if you need to go back and re-listen to some of those advices, I would recommend you going back and listening and taking notes because that was a lot that we took in. And yeah, it was a great opportunity. Thank you so much, Lily, for coming in and for just giving us this amazing lecture. Thank you, chicos. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, you. <laughs> I had to do that. <laughs> um, your leadership, your energy is contagious, so keep it going. And keep inviting people. Because I think there's plenty of alums out there that are doing great things. Gracias. All right, Adios. guys. Thank we'll you. See you guys. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. We'll see you guys next week. Bye bye.